money is a is a funny topic. I feel like there's these three different areas in life that people don't like to talk about, <laughs> and they happen to be the most central and pivotal areas in building really solid relationships and marriages. And one is money, the other is sex, and the other is relationship. It's mm-hmm. like people don't like talking about the relationship, they don't like talking about sex, and they don't like talking about money. And yet, that's literally what a marriage is centered around. It's like exactly those three <laughs> right. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast, where driven women in business learn how to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident. Feel empowered and challenged through inspiring stories and tell it like it is advice for business, life, and leadership. Hey there, and welcome back to the Bombshell Business Podcast, or welcome if it is your first time with us. My name is Amber Hurdle, and I'm your host. And as usual, because we are super crazy picky about who we put in front of you, I have an amazing guest. And already just chatting with her before the interview, I'm I'm like getting all hyped up, like energetically, just is just pumping through me. Um, and I think you're really going to love her as well. Um, today we have Hannah Mason, and she's a coach, an author, and a speaker, and also course creator. And um, I just want to tell you a little bit about her story before we dive in. Hold your horses or hold, hold, hold on to something. A gang of armed men broke into Hannah's childhood home in Bogota, Colombia, and held her family hostage. Her family miraculously fled to Miami, but five-year-old Hannah's sense of safety was decimated. Two decades later, Hannah still dealt with PTSD, anxiety, and depression. To heal herself, she dove into a journey to rediscover her peace and joy. I'm getting emotional just even reading this. I mean, I know I'm super emotional, but still. (laughs) She's learned from the world's top experts on the human mind and uses her gift for turning complex ideas into easy-to-access tools for transformation. Through her straight talk, which you know we love on this show, open heart and addictive joy. Hannah helps thousands clarify their vision, shift beliefs, getting in their way and manifest their dreams. Hannah lives with her family and the funky, I'm going to say this right. Nahla, hold on. Wait, wait, no, Nahlaot, neighborhood of Jerusalem <laughs> works with individuals and communities around the world. Today, we're going to dive into some topics around money mindset. Hannah, thank you for being on the bombshell business podcast and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm feeling that energy buzzing off of you and I'm really excited for this conversation. Yeah. I mean, we could have gone a lot of different ways today because you are highly accomplished. Um, but I think it was, it was funny because I was just listening to an episode on, um, Krista Grasso's uh, podcast and I, I touched on my teen mom story and some of the things that happened and almost having my car repossessed all the time. And what I realized is I've never really done deep money work. And I think that's an issue, especially with women. So do you want to just kind of start with that and unpack why we have these limiting beliefs around, or these stories we tell ourselves about money? Yeah, sure. So money is a, is a funny topic. I feel like there's these three different areas in life that people don't like to talk about. (laughs) And they happen to be the most central and pivotal areas in building really solid relationships and marriages. And one is money, the other is sex, and the other is relationship. Mm -hmm. It's like people don't like talking about the relationship, they don't like talking about sex, and they don't like talking about money. And yet that's literally what a marriage is centered around. It's like exactly those three (laughs) things. And so if you grow up like I did, 
where money is kind of taboo and it's like we don't really talk about it or we can't talk about it in public. So I had this thing as a kid where I would overhear my parents talking about money stuff. And I thought it was this totally safe topic to talk about. And as you can see, I'm a pretty boisterous, outgoing person. And so there I was being boisterous and outgoing and openly talking about my parents' money things and not understanding the nuances of that. And they'd be like, no, 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 we don't talk about that. And like, then I developed a lot of shame. It was just confusion for me as a kid. Mm, yeah. And, and so I was confused as to like, when is it okay to spend money? When is it not okay to spend money? What exactly money is? What is it for? What does it mean? And everyone has like all sorts of subconscious beliefs around money and they get communicated like non-verbally to our kids. So I grew up with that. Plus at a certain point, my parents really started becoming much more financially successful and we moved to a more affluent area. And that affluent area happened to be full of a lot of people who are very focused on shopping and and nails and hair and all sorts of things that I just wasn't into. I'm like a deep feeling spiritual person by nature since I was very young. And so I confounded multiple things. And this is something we do a lot also where we take two concepts and we stick them together. So I associated wealth with shallowness. Mm, Yeah. Even though there's plenty of shallow poor people and plenty of deep wealthy people my brain wanted to make the world very, very simple. So I stuck these two concepts together and basically set myself up on a plan to not be focused on building wealth because I wanted spiritual depth and meaning in my life. And lo and behold, I met a guy who had a pretty similar journey. And so he also kind of associated shallowness with wealth and we wanted to live meaningful lives. And that desire slapped us in the face in a hundred ways, silly. And we were like, let's move to Calcutta. (laughs) We moved to Jerusalem, which is just as, just as challenging. And, um, and we surrounded ourselves by these like super spiritual hippie, um, people who were, you know, the people who had spent time in India and then decided they wanted to connect to their Jewish roots. So then they came to Jerusalem, like those kind of hippie people. And, um, And we eventually shifted to becoming the people who give business advice to those people like that. That's like the very short nutshell of our journey. And it was all a product of having sunk ourselves into so much debt and having to look our financial blueprint in the eye. Yeah, same. And it's funny that you said that because I think so many people before they know me, they see the hair and the nails um, and the Botox. And then like they are completely shocked at how deeply spiritual I am. Like, I think that's, Mm. it just throws people off um, that they can't determine the inside because that there is that assumption that like those things are mutually exclusive. And um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how you disconnected to opposing thoughts. Um, But so let's go back to the debt because I know me getting myself out of debt and a, horrible, uh, score, uh, credit score. That was a long journey and there's emotion attached to that journey. So can you, Oh yeah. A lot of emotion. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so for us, probably the biggest emotion that eventually, like there were two big emotions that pushed us to change. One was shame. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and the other was just pain and conflict. So one of the, I literally just, just had an interaction with a client who was telling me how he grew up with a mom who always said money is pain. Mm. And I said to him, that's right. The lack of money is insanely painful. It causes so much conflict. And I said to I like, I knew I was going to hit a pain point. I said, you know what happens when my refrigerator breaks? He's like, what? Cause you could see like, you know, that's where he is in his life. The refrigerator breaks. It's like a crisis. Right. And I said, I call the technician. He comes and fixes it. I pay him. I don't even think twice. Right. And he was like, wow. I said, in your house, it's a fight, isn't it? And he said, yeah. I said, there's your pain. And so that just even little things like that, like that automatically started to shift his association of money and pain that he'd stuck together. Um, so for us, the shame of, of writing checks that got bounced, I wrote so many bounced checks and it was so humiliating. I felt so dumb, especially because I have an Ivy League degree. Like I should know better than this. I should do better than this. You know, oh, there you go. Shitting a, on yourself. <laughs> yeah, all over. Right. We had a very successful business. And based on the revenue of that successful business, we bought a house and I decided to do this huge renovation on the house. So my husband's running a theoretically successful business. I'm doing a renovation on the house. The renovation goes four times over budget, really bad. And my husband, um, based on both of us wanting to be super altruistic and give lots of people jobs, hired half of our neighborhood. Like we gave so many people jobs but a huge percentage of those jobs didn't actually yield enough revenue to cover paying those people. So we were just taking money out of our pockets and giving it to them. But because there was so much shame and taboo around money, we weren't even looking at the books of the business until the business just crashed. And, and then it took a long time to kind of get ourselves out of it. In the meantime, our house uh, renovation cost us so much, we had to borrow money from our parents. There's another big load of shame. And we felt this huge urgency to just get rid of all of this debt. And we were really lucky that we had an asset. So we sold the house and that brought us to zero. And zero is not great, but it's so much better than a big fat red negative. Right. And that's really, that was a rock bottom for my husband, just selling that house. Cause to him, it was like, we no that longer had, that was the dream for most people. Owning a home is a dream. Um, for Jews, owning a home in Israel has this like whole other layer of ideological, spiritual significance. Yeah. So it was like a double slap. And there we were. We didn't have a home anymore. Um, we had where to live, but we didn't have like our own place. And um, and that was like the, the turning point where my husband was like, this is ridiculous. This is all a product. He, he sort of figured out what was the key distinction, which is that um, in all of our different money beliefs, I had, it's not fair for me to have more when others have less, which is why we gave it all away. I did a really good job of making it even. <laughs> they were poor and I was poor. It was perfect, right? But my husband had investments are hard, are hard to understand, something like that. Yeah. And he realized that because of that distinction, whenever we made more than we needed to live, this money, this extra money became a stressor mm. because we were smart enough to know that if you have extra money, you should do something investment wise with it. But because investments are hard to understand, 
as if that, that was your belief. So then like you don't look into learning about investments and being savvy in that regard. And so that money needs to do something. And so we'd figure out how to spend it. It's a mistake a lot of people make is they have ready cash. And so they just spend what they have or they have a certain income. Let's say they're making, uh, you know, $100,000 a year. So in their minds, they think they have $100,000 a year to spend. Right. Right. So the minute my husband decided to take that deep dive into money, it was like it opened me up to do it, too, because if one person doesn't want to look, then the Mm -hmm. other person kind of can't look. Because mm-hmm. every time I would say, honey, let's sit down and let's look at the numbers of your business. He'd be like, no, we don't look at it. There's, there's this saying in Judaism, there's blessing in what is hidden. Well, it was mighty hidden and not a lot of blessing, let me tell you. <laughs> so, you it's so funny. You could take any spiritual precept and like twist it to fit uh-huh. your like pre-existing world. Um, so he starts taking this deep dive. I start taking this deep dive. We read everything from Rich Dad, Poor Dad to Tony Robbins books to like actual more finance stuff. And he went deep, deep, deep. Um, I, I less so. I focused more on the mindset stuff. And right at the beginning of the process, we highly focused on mindset, our f- whole family. So we have a son. He's now 17, but at the time he was 11. Wow. And we all started looking at our money mindset our like specific money beliefs. And we said them out loud and it was the best thing we could have ever done for our son because he heard us saying the beliefs and he would laugh at them and we would all laugh at them. So any amount of planting in fears or messed up beliefs that we had that we'd already planted into him when he was younger, all got untangled by the time he was 11. And so, so right. that was really great. Yeah. That was like huge. Like his money mindset is amazing. When I want money mindset advice, I go to my son. That's awesome. You know, whenever I want to charge more, I'm like, okay, I'm a little bit stuck. I want to charge more, but I'm a little scared. Talk me through this. And he'll talk me through it. And it's just like, amazing. It's like, you're like, shit. I planted the seed and I watered it. And now I have this harvest back for me. This amazing <laughs> fruit is so great. Um, and so um, we, because we're authors, we decided the best way to learn about a topic is to write a book on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, always. So so we, we put together this book called The Cash Machine, and that became the vehicle through which we learned a ton about money. And it's a novel. And we're very big on teaching through story. And it's like actually a page turner. And it's actually a love story. And it's really great. It's about this girl, Amber. You'll like that. About this girl, <laughs> Amber. And um, she, you know, she's totally crushing on this guy. But it's very clear that he has such a clear money um philosophy and and a way he wants to live in regards to money, that the only way they're ever going to be able to make it together and get married is if she's on his page. Mm -hmm. And in order for her to figure that out, she has to get a financial education. So as she gets a financial education, you get a financial education, but she does it through the, through the context of the narrative, through crazy characters, like this guy, Vinny, who's this like slimy Italian guy (laughs) who has it in for the IRS he never wants to give the IRS a penny of his money. You know, when he talks like this and he's all like Italian, da, 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 this, this and that. And um, my husband tends to be more the structure, story structure person. And I tend to more bring things character to development. Like, uh, char- yeah, like character development and set development. Um, I studied theater. That's my background. Okay. And so uh, she's she's Italian-American and there's a lot of restaurant scenes and a lot of I'm Italian-American. Scenes. Are you sure you didn't oh, write this cool. book about me? I'm Sicilian. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and you know, there's like a, a point when she brings this guy home for Thanksgiving and we wanted to make sure we got this right. So uh, we sat down one summer with uh, Marie and Rose Garofalo, who uh, used to be my husband's next door neighbors. And they're so New York Italian, like you have no idea. And they're twins and they finish each other's sentences. And they're those like larger than life type of characters. So they told us every, oh, she's going to bring a guy home. Everybody's going to want to know what did he bring? Uh, so we made <laughs> sure that that was like, you know, like he doesn't want to spend any money. And she's like, you better bring something good, you know? <laughs> Like, he better spend money on her family. I don't care how frugal this guy is. You know, all sorts of things like that. And then when we were done writing the book, when we had our final, final draft, we read it out loud with Marie and Rose. And they were like peeing in their pants, rolling on the floor, <laughs> cracking up. They're like, it's exactly like that. It's exactly like that. We're like, yes. Because um, we wanted to make it really real. Like all the family interactions and all the, you know, cultural interactions, everything like had to fit just right. And what an awesome way to communicate that, because I think one reason why bombshells in particular shy away from um, the numbers is, you know, that not every female, but a lot of females tend to have more feminine energy. It's more that creative, malleable, um, you know, limitless potential, and they don't have as much of that masculine energy, which is like GSD, like just go out there and do it. These are the numbers, hard line. Like this is the path, the path. Um, when you tell things through story and you light up the brain in that creativity, I think that a woman would absorb that a lot more and it will speak to her soul and not just to the left side of her brain. So that's awesome. Yeah. So like I used also, like I used food as props the way I would on a stage. Like there's like a whole scene that happens with lady fingers. She's making tiramisu and he's like mm -hmm. taking lady fingers and he's like, well, imagine that this is a mutual fund and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, suddenly you care about mutual funds because they're lady fingers. You don't right. eat one. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So on that, I, I'm just like, you know, I have different people, different direct messages, different listeners, different clients popping up in my head as you're talking. And there, you know, we could cover so many different money beliefs, but I think the one that trips up women, whether they are entrepreneurs trying to get to a new revenue level, or they are in corporate America, or they work for somebody and maybe they're not earning what they could be earning. And I don't want to use the should word, but comparatively to like a male counterpart, or maybe just the, the employer wasn't aware of, you know, standards in the area or whatever, what type of money beliefs surround that inability or that limitation of earning more? So actually that's something that um, Jordan Peterson talks about a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a psychologist out of Toronto. And a lot of the work that he did um, nowadays, he's just writing books and, and touring the world teaching. Um, he has a podcast, but he used to work one-on-one -on -one, um, in a therapeutic setting with clients. And a bunch of his clients were high performance women who needed assertiveness training. That's what he called it. It needed what? And what he called assertiveness, uh, assertiveness training, assertiveness training. So he says so many women are, you know, like the idea that, that women make less than men, he uh -huh. says can really be counter can really be assessed by a number of, of factors. 
One is a lot of women simply don't want to work after a certain age. They want to settle down and have kids mm-hmm. or um, they don't want to work the high intensity jobs that mm-hmm. men are willing to do, mm-hmm. like construction, working on an oil rig, like a lot of dangerous jobs women aren't particularly interested in. Um, women tend to lean more towards softer jobs. And even within any given profession, oftentimes you'll find that a woman is willing to work 500 hours less per year than a man in any given profession, because women tend to be more. Um, and then let's, there's this let's other qualify piece. that work in the business because they go home exactly. and there's plenty of work and to do. Still work. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? um, but then there's this other piece, which is that men have an easier time being what Jordan uh, Peterson calls, um, oh my gosh, I just blanked out on the term. Basically not nice. There's like a formal term for this. He said there's, you can define somebody's personality. And usually these are personality traits that you are just born with that are just innate to who you are. So there's different traits like neuroticism. Um, and, oh, I totally forgot this thing, but basically like how important is it to you to be liked and to be nice? Yeah. So women tend to be nicer and want to be liked more. And so they're less willing to engage in the kind of like, rough around the edges, conflicty kind of conversations that you need to have if you want to get paid more. Like you have to walk into a room and demand a higher pay. And Mm -hmm. for a lot of women, they have beliefs like, it's important to me that they like me. Um, I don't want to impose. So I just literally just today, I had a client who um, was telling me about how she is nervous about asking for her accountant who is her employee, right? She's scared about asking for her accountant for advice because she doesn't want to burden him. Wow. A man would never say that. Like, yes, some men would, but they tend to be more feminine type men, right? So this thing of like, I don't want to be a burden, people say all the time, or I don't deserve, or there, there's like a certain um, insecurity that comes out in other beliefs. That tends to be what like keeps women from simply asking for more. So this is, this is a, a subconscious, maybe wiring type thing. And there's all different types of behavioral profiles and personality traits that I'm sure impact this as well. But so what you're saying is the belief is so much deeper than anything to do with money. And it really has to do with, am I valuable enough to ask? Uh, is that so what there's, I'm there's that piece. And it's also like, oh, I don't want to impose I don't want to be a burden. It's important that they like me. And it's like, okay, well, what's more important that they like you or that you get paid what, you know, what you think you deserve. And what if, what if they pay you and they still like you? <laughs> like, is that an option? Can that be true? Right. So, so my biggest, my biggest thing in helping people shift their beliefs is in taking what Byron Katie calls taking your original belief and saying it's opposite. So oftentimes my experience, if I pay someone more, um, confirmation bias tells us that I'm actually going to like them more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because here you have this, right? Like if I pay them more, oh, they must be good because otherwise I'm an idiot if I pay them more. Right. right. <laughs> so it's like, I want, I end up looking for reasons to like them more in order to confirm my choice to have paid them more. And I, when I, I pay them less, I respect them less. And, and I have to, when, when there's emerging speakers, I do, um, mentoring and, and I'll do like, um, the national speakers association has a speaker Academy in the different, um, 
chapters, if you will. And so sometimes they'll ask me to teach the, the marketing and the branding section of that. And there are people who are charging a certain number. We, we say pineapples in the speaking industry because you're not really supposed to talk about money. Imagine that. Um, and so, you know, they get, we'll just say that they get paid 10 pineapples and maybe they're new to professional speaking, but they're not new to speaking. Like they're just putting some structure around it. And so when I hear how many pineapples they charge, I have to gently tell them, if you continue to charge that many pineapples, you are not going to be hired to take these type of stages because they will not take you seriously. This yeah. bottom number right here is what you must charge just to get in the game of being taken seriously. You are shooting yourself in the foot by only charging that number of pineapples and to see the light bulbs go off in their head. It's like, Oh, well, let me just be cheap and then I'll get hired. It's like, no, mm, that yeah. shows that you're not experienced exactly. and you're not really in the business of speaking. <laughs> So, um, just a little other psychology there. So what, um, you tend to teach through story. And so I, I know you've written three books and we've talked about that one, but I went to, um, money mindset, madness.com, uh -huh. um, and have the super mm. colorful, um, and like, when I say colorful, they're really my colors. So it's more like neutral colors, but all kinds of colors. Um, and so tell me about this because you have an ongoing challenge that you, that you do, and I'm totally going to do it myself. Tell me about why you did this and like, what can somebody expect? It's super affordable, $47. Like that's easy. That's a no brainer. Mm -hmm. That's an easy. Yes. So, so basically we created the challenge after helping a lot of people shift their money mindset, just people we know in our lives, in addition to people who I have in my coaching practice, um, because we went through so much pain having to actually change our financial picture. And part of that was changing our money mindset. We came to the point that when people came to us for business advice or for financial advice, the first thing we wanted to see was their money mindset, because we understand that your mindset is literally the foundation of your building. Mm -hmm. So a perfect example is, uh, one of the first people we gave money mindset advice to was this guy who we happened to know personally, and he wanted some business advice for my husband. My husband's like, sure, no problem. Come over while I'm doing dishes. We'll talk. So the two of them are standing in the kitchen. My husband's doing dishes. And the first thing my husband says to him is, please complete the following sentence. Rich people are. And the guy said, greedy. Oh. And then he said, uh-huh, money is. And the guy said, the root of all evil. <sighs> Exactly. So if you believe that, you will do everything in your power to make sure that you don't get rich and that you don't get a lot of money because you nobody sees themselves as greedy or evil. Like that just doesn't exist. Nobody's like that. And so those beliefs already from the get-go were setting him up to sabotage any attempts he had at business success. And undoing that is the basis for him of shifting. So for sure, that's, that was the case for us, like every single one of our money beliefs. So, what, so that was just one of hundreds of conversations we've had with people over the years. And 
we realized, wow, if we could just package it all in one place, just to make it easy for people to work on their money mindsets, it would be really amazing. And everything we do, we do through story. So it's a 21 day challenge. And every single day we tell a story and it's either a story about us and our sorry experiences (laughs) or our learning experiences, or it's an allegory that helps people understand how money works. So I'd love to share with you one of those stories. Cause yeah, I would love that. Please. Okay, great. So I happen to have made up the story on a hike. Once I was uh, doing a walking session with a client and it was just so frustrating. I was like trying to figure out how am I going to get the concept of compounding into this person's head? Because compounding is really difficult to understand. So for those in your audience who don't know what compounding is, it's just basically what happens when we put interest on our money. So let's say you have a hundred dollars and it makes 10% a year. So the first year it's going to make $10. Now you have 110. The second year it's going to make $11 because 10% of 110 is 11. So now you have 121. And so your, your mind, what your mind wants to do, we think linearly, our minds want to say, oh, I'm going to make $10 a year for the next 10 years. And in 10 years, I'll have $200. I'll have doubled my money but that's not actually how it works. The way it works is if you do the math, it only takes seven years to double your money, but our minds just don't know how to think that way. And so it's trying to figure out, okay, how can I help this person understand compounding in a way that like that's sticky and relevant in their lives? So I said, okay, I want you to look at this pine tree. And we were standing under a pine tree that had hundreds of pine cones. And I said, how many pine cones do you see here? And they said, I don't know, like a hundred. I said, great, let's just go with a hundred. It's an easy number. I said, inside of a pine cone, how many seeds do you think there are? And they're like, I don't know, like a hundred. I said, great, hundred. I like that number. Easy number is good. Okay. How many trees can you get from one seed? And they said, oh, one said, so how many trees can you get from one pine cone? They said a hundred. So how many trees can you get from one tree? And that's when suddenly they had to do math and like, okay, a hundred times a hundred is 10,000. And I said, this one tree can give you 10,000 trees. That's God's math. Oh, so it. good. I just got Compounding goosey down my legs. God math. Exactly. Right. And those of us who are more spiritual, hippie, whatever, we're super into nature. Yeah. We think that money belongs in the corporate sector, that money's not in nature. Money grows on trees. It really does. Like when people tell you, oh, does money grow on trees? Yes. The answer to that question is absolutely money on trees. You have an apple tree. That apple has how many seeds in it? 15 seeds, that's 15 apple trees that are each going to be able to produce hundreds of apples. Yeah. God's math is everywhere. It's embedded into every single aspect of nature. Abundance is so, so huge. And what we do is we limit it into very small linear terms. And once you get that, then you're like, oh, how can I plug into God's math? I can live on a totally different plane. I'm, I'm going to print out something that says God's math and put it on my wall right there. <laughs> that is, <laughs> and what, a, what an amazing way to, to look at that. I mean, like I've, I understand compound interest and I was fortunate to have um, a very wealthy person kind of take me under his wing um, in my twenties because mm-hmm. he said um, it's been my observation that and, and he was a retired like GE executive. 
He said, it's been my observation and all my years of business that women are not taught about investing. And I want, I want to teach you about investing. And so we would go to coffee and he would bring me magazines and books and he would teach me things. And, um, and I was a single mom, so I was trying and I was trying to wrap my mind around it. But what you just said, and not to take away from the, all the amazing things that he, he taught me, but what you just said immediately clicked. Right. Cause it's, cause you understand a pine cone, right. Or an right? apple. It's, so, so for me, my thing is always like, exactly. Like how do we take, so in the, in the course, I talk about tomatoes. You got a town where there's 10 people, 10 people in this little farming village and somebody comes with 10 tomatoes and hands each person a tomato. What do most people do? Eat it. If I hand you a tomato, exactly. Uh-huh. Most people eat it. So you got eight people eat it. The nine person's like, oh, I'm going to plant that tomato. And they take the tomato and they put it in the ground. How many tomato plants are they going to get? Many. If they take one tomato. Well, theoretically, but they'll crowd each other out. Right. So really right. you can only get one tomato. Plant oh, if you plant the, that just the tomato. in the ground. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Right. But the last guy is like, wait a second. I have hundreds of seeds here. I'm not going to eat my tomato. I'm going to plant all of those seeds. And now I'm going to have a hundred tomato plants. And then next season, I'm going to have thousands of tomatoes. I'm going to have so many tomatoes that A, I'm not going to be able to eat them all. So I'm probably going to give a bunch away to everybody else who now has no tomatoes, right? Right. But also I'm now going to be a lot wealthier than everyone else. And that's exactly how wealth works. And the people who ate their tomatoes, look at the people who have thousands of tomatoes and they say, he stole tomatoes from me. But that's not what he did. (laughs) He literally created new wealth from nothing. Yeah. That's where our confusion is. We think that there's a limited supply, but there isn't. The supply of what there is in the world keeps growing. And some people know how to grow the supply and other people waste the resources they have. It it makes me think of the the passage in the Bible where uh, the landowner had the three servants and he gave them all the talents and one, one hid it and buried it. And he didn't want anybody to find it. Cause he just wanted to keep it safe. He didn't want to get in trouble. And then another one did okay with his, I'm, I'm probably butchering the story. And then the third one, um, he took what he made. And, and I think he was the one who like multiplied the investment. And, um, that was quite the little money story from a spiritual perspective growing up in in church. And like, everybody's heard that story, but it just kind of makes me think more about the pine cone and the tomatoes now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's just like, Oh, how, so for us, it's always like finding ways of figuring out how do we explain these principles to people in ways that they can tangibly understand? Cause we yeah. interact with food all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm already doing, um, I'm on a a 30 day yoga thing. I'm, I'm, um, alcohol free for 40 days. So I'll just add 21 Uh, days of money mindset. And this is just going to be like (laughs) an epic month for me. Um, so, I, I mean, I feel like I could talk to you all day long. I mean, just truly all day long. Um, because you have so much and, and you do, I mean, I just want to make sure that people understand the, the wealth of resources that you have to offer, uh, because I would love at some point, just even hearing about your childhood trauma, 
you know, how you shift trauma into transformation. You talk a lot about how to find your purpose and, and your, your core beliefs, even beyond money. So can you just really quickly talk about your, your other books, what you have to offer, how people can grow um, spiritually, mentally in their wealth by checking out some of your stuff. Awesome. So, um, so quickly say that, you know, for me, that transformation piece of, and which to be honest is like always evolving. Um, yeah, of course, <laughs> you know, like it's we're always becoming, like, we don't get just there. Had, <laughs> yeah. I just had COVID for like a month and it, it was really hard, like emotionally and spiritually. It was a really, really difficult time for me to just be like in bed all the time. Like there's all these things I've put into my life to keep myself like happy and upbeat and being in bed is not one of them. So, um, but the, there are, you know, core tools that I've learned that have been absolutely huge for me. The, the number one is something called inquiry, which is basically the ability to ask lots of questions and to question my thinking, you know, that ability to question my thinking is what so much of this conversation is about. Mm -hmm. um, and I teach tools for, um, for engaging in inquiry, for question, for identifying the beliefs that are blocking you from questioning them and then shifting into beliefs that really support whatever it is you want to do in life, whether it's just be happy and healthy and peaceful or manifest your dreams. Um, and I teach tools for that in two of my books. One is called Hold That Thought and the other is called Inner Voices. And all of my books are accessible on my website, hanamason.com slash books. And then um, there's this book, The Cash Machine, that teaches all about, you know, core financial principles. It's not a money mindset book. It's really a learn about how money works book. You know, once you make money, what do you do with it? Mm -hmm. um, and then we have this book that my husband and I wrote together called The Size of Your Dreams. And it's uh, kind of like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill crossed with, um, uh, the Ted Poet Society. Um, <laughs> Love. <laughs> yeah. So it's another novel. It takes place in an American high school classroom. And there are these four kids who lost their trig teacher. And he gets replaced by this guy who kind of came out of nowhere, who's very clearly not there to teach math. Like there's no math covered in the book whatsoever. Um, but each of the kids has something in their lives that they want to shift or manifest. There's a kid who's obese and wants to lose weight. There's a girl who um, who's a swimmer and really wants her team to, um, you know, to to win the state championship. There's a kid who's trying to figure out how to have his own business so he could pay for college. And, wow. and there's the main character who's got major self-esteem issues and um, and a lot of self-loathing issues. And so each of them are like really different, but we teach really tangible, easy to use tools that you can do on your own to um to manifest whatever it is they want to shift in their lives. And they become a mastermind group for each other. So they're constantly offering each other ideas and support on how to move forward. And you get like, you get attached to them and to their dreams and to what's happening and also to their failings and their difficulties. Um, and there's some pretty beautiful passages in the book, some difficult passages in the book, a lot of funny stuff in the book. Um, and we had a lot of fun writing it together. It's really cool. That's awesome. I, I often uh, recommend reading the E-Myth or the Emeth revisited because yes. it's a story. It's the story of this woman's bakery. And, and so it's easier to wrap your mind around the business principles that it's teaching because it is told through story. So I love that you, that you and your husband do that. Um, well, so I always ask before, well, let me, let me just say real quick, of course, as always, 
everything that we talk about today, all the links will be in the show notes and, um, and all of the social media, everything will be in, in the show notes, um, which will uh, be on YouTube and then amberhurdle.com forward slash podcasts with an S and just look for this episode. Um, but before we wrap, I always like to ask, what is the parting advice that you would offer women who are trying to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident in their business or business that they work for and in their life? Um, so my parting advice is a tool that I teach in my book, Inner Voices. Um, it's something I created. I was trying to find the most efficient way possible to help people identify the beliefs that are getting way. And it's what I call the one question. What am I believing right now? That's making me feel this way. What am I believing right now? That's making me feel this way, which is a very loaded question because it presumes that the way you feel is a product of a belief. And that if you can identify that belief, you can feel differently. And so once you identify what that belief is, then ask yourself another question, which is if I believed the opposite of this, what would my life look like? Mm. Mm. And it's, it's a way that you can really just shift into a totally different reality. So good. You know, so, so if I'm believing, you know, I need my boss to like me, what would your life look like if you were believing I don't need my boss to like me? What would you do differently? So Good. Oh my gosh. I knew I was going to love chatting with you and I appreciate you coming all the way from, I forget the coast that you said you were on but, um, <laughs> the Mediterranean coast of Israel. Okay. There you go. That's, that's the easier way of remembering it. Um, so I appreciate that. I'm so glad that you're feeling better and that you're back to living at your purpose every day and not being stuck in bed energetically and uh, physically. And, uh, I will certainly be taking a lot of what you're saying to heart my to heart myself. And I encourage all of you bombshells to really put some time on your calendar this week. You know, I believe making appointments with yourself. I think this is one of those episodes where this would be a value to you for you to journal around, um, maybe have some of these conversations with yourself, have an accountability partner. You know, one of the, the, the processes and the self-coaching in the, in the bombshell framework is the community. So find somebody else to have these conversations with where you can say these ridiculous things out loud, like Hannah and her family does. So thank you for being with us today, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we don't really have any announcements for this particular episode. We do have some good things coming up that we will be announcing. Um, but thank you so much for spending your limited finite time. That is one thing we cannot necessarily expand with us to learn and become um, really to step into your own becoming. And I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Visit amberhurdle.com for more resources like show notes and check out the bombshellbusinesswoman.com to grab my book and download the free bonuses.